Welcome to the Chat With Your Kids podcast. I'm Marcy. And I'm Alex. And we're here to help you tackle the biggest topics through little chats with the kids in your life. Welcome. This week's topic is navigating mental health resources. And we really wanted to put this right up front at the beginning of our podcast because while we are mental health professionals, we cannot provide a mental health service through a podcast. And we recognize that. We're, we want to provide tools for parents and other people to be able to chat with the kids in their lives. And we realize that as you are trying to have important and sometimes difficult conversations with your kids, you might face certain challenges that we can't address in this format. And so we wanted to provide a way to help you navigate the kind of complex world of mental health services because there's so many different kinds and there's there's different ways to seek it out and we hope to orient you to that a little bit better today. Yeah, definitely. This is something I feel like we get a call every couple of months from a friend or a family member who may have concerns about their child or maybe they themselves are wanting to start receiving mental health services and their question is, so what do I do? (laughs) And so that's, um, you know, in true Chat With Your Kids fashion, we want this to feel like a conversation, like you're sitting here in the living room with us. And so this is really similar to that conversation we have when we get that phone call and... Yeah, so let's dive in. <laughs> yeah, so we'll start with our reflection questions for today. Um, the first one is, have you or anyone you know received any mental health support? And what was that experience like? You know, our previous experiences with mental health treatment can influence the way that we seek treatment in the future. Like if we had a really great experience in the past, we'll probably be more inclined to seek it out. Whereas maybe maybe you've tried to go to therapy once, it really didn't work out, didn't feel great, and it might be hard, even if you feel like that's something you want again, it might be hard to start seeking uh, mental health treatment again. Um, or maybe you've never sought mental health services, and in any case, it can still be helpful um, to reflect on what it is you think about mental health treatment um, and talk to people who have had experiences with it for better or for worse, to get kind of a fair judgment about what to expect. Yeah. Um, Alex and I have both, at different points in our life, received mental health services, gone to therapy, and there's times when it's been extremely helpful, and there's been other times where we didn't have a perfect experience, and um, yeah, it's something that it's relevant, right? So just reflect on that. And, And like Alex was saying, the next reflection question is, what is your perception of mental health services for you or for your child? And there is definitely some stigma around mental health services. And we have seen a really good positive shift where we see less and less stigma around seeking out therapy, you know, seeking out mental health services, but it's important to address within yourself. Do you hold any 
you know, maybe it's really positive or do you hold any like fears or perceptions and just addressing those if you do. And well, and these could be perceptions about all sorts of things. So we'll talk about this maybe a little bit later too, but perceptions could be like, am I going to get coaching and skill building for a specific problem? Am I going so I can vent and have, because I don't have anyone else to talk to about this specific issue? Am I trying to look really deeply within myself to understand why I do what I do? Like all these kinds of questions uh, or different perceptions will influence, you know, what kind of treatment you seek or what the experience is like for you. I have other thoughts on this, but I think we're going to get to it later. (laughs) Okay, okay. Um, so now you're on the edge of your seat. You cannot turn off this podcast. Just keep driving. Um, so the next question is, what concerns may you have about you or your children receiving mental health services? And again, these can range from the cost of services to, you know, how will my child receive that or, you know, whatever it may be. There are likely there some concerns or logistics, logistics, timing. You know, you have a busy schedule probably. Where do you fit it in? This next question that we have is how would you recognize when you or your children need mental health services? This is a pretty, it's a pretty big question because a lot of times in, in therapy, um, people end up coming to therapy after they've done the best that they can to confront life's problems and then they feel like they're out of options and they they, they know they need help. Um, but that's not always necessary. You don't always have to wait until the very, like you've expended all your efforts. Rock bottom. Yeah, like yeah. there's, you know, you can come before things get really tough or even if things are going relatively well. Maybe something happened in the past, you know, five, ten years ago that, you didn't really understand then, but you want to better understand now, now that things are better. Going to therapy when life is good is actually a great time to go because we're always trying to make sense of our lives and put things together and better understand ourselves. And doing that when we're not hyper-stressed about balancing a lot of things or not facing an immediate problem right now um, can be really helpful. You have a lot more mental energy and, and clarity to see things in a new light. Yeah, I like that. And the last question is what, if there are any, um, barriers are there for you or your child to receiving services? And um, there actually is some research about barriers to receiving mental health services. And um, the two most highly reported barriers were lack of information of where to seek out help. Which hopefully we're addressing today. Yes. Well, we are addressing today. <laughs> yes. For you. Um, and then the second barrier was the perception that mental health professionals would not listen or would not want to or be able to help. Um, so hopefully we can provide some information today to help address those barriers. And um, also just, you know, provide some... I guess, uh, validation if you have experienced those barriers or if those are concerns that you have, um, that those are real concerns and we, yeah, we want to address that, those Mm -hmm. concerns. We'll also cite this study in the notes for the show. So if you're interested in reading it, it'll be available. You can find that research. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, so moving on, we want to share 
um, for the second segment of the show. Hopefully you've been able to reflect. If you needed to pause, have a conversation. Um, journal. Journal, right? That's great. Um, but now we're going to hopefully provide some information that can be helpful concerning this topic. So as we kind of talked about earlier, we do want to just talk a little bit about the stigma related to mental health. Something that is we've kind of have, have addressed is is the younger generation is a lot more open to mental health services and seeking out therapy. And and I think if you're thinking about your kids growing up in the same context that you grew up in, that's just not the case. And it's awesome. Kids these days are a lot more. Um, while we're still okay, well, we're still not arrived at like perfection kids are a lot more comfortable talking about their feelings or addressing that they may need to talk to someone or seeking out therapy or seeking out help right yeah i mean there's a there's kind of a common um i hear this actually very often (laughs) people say therapies for the quote-unquote crazy people um and this is kind of like i was talking about earlier that People will sometimes wait until they feel like the problem is way too big for them, which is totally fair. I mean, by all means, use all the resources you have. That's totally fine. Um, But it's not necessarily the case. Um, Sometimes also people will say, like, well, the gym's my therapy, you know, like, Mm -hmm. which is also totally fair. Like, it is true to an extent, but therapy is distinct or like mental health services are distinct in ways that we're about to talk about. Um, and they provide just another resource, another tool in your toolbox that goes along with the gym or talking with a family member or whatever else you have in your toolbox. So um, we're not trying to say that therapy solves all problems, but it's just another resource that can help with certain specific things. Yeah, and it's for everyone. It's It's for everyone. everyone. Okay, so we want to talk a little bit about when to seek out mental health services with a a few caveats. So first of all, um, there is kind of a blanket situation when you should immediately and always and immediately seek out mental health services. And that is if you or your child is experiencing suicidal ideation. So in this situation, you should always seek out mental health services immediately And we do plan on doing a whole episode on this topic, but we did want to make sure that we address that, that there are some things you should not wait, you should immediately seek out services, and that is definitely, um, you know, one of them. Or if there is, you know, repeated thoughts of harming another person as well. Um, So in those, those two situations, you should always seek out immediate support. The other caveat is that there is, you know, we can always, like Alex said earlier, we can always benefit from therapy. So um, there's not like just like one right time to go. It can mm-hmm. always be helpful. But we do want to, you know, maybe talk about a, a few t- kind of signs when maybe for you as an adult or for a child when you might say, hey, let's go ahead and, and seek out some services. We'll start with adults. Yeah. So with adults... Like I said, people will come when they're they felt like they're the problem they're confronting in life has become 
too much. You know, if you find that you're facing the same issue over and over again, like um, changes in sleep patterns, changes in eating, changes in motivation, um, you know, you're not feeling interested in things the same as you were before. If you have like memories about something that are, they kind of like show up in your mind suddenly and they kind of get in the way of other things or you have repeated habits or patterns of behavior that trouble you or, or someone else in your family and you're not really sure what to do about them. Um, I think of it of like something like is persisting, like there, yeah, like there may be a pattern that just keeps occurring in your life. Like you have this unhealthy exchange with your husband and your kids and that lady in the checkout line, or maybe it's just the thought of like, I really should talk to someone about this. Sure. Um, yeah. It can be that simple a lot of times. Yeah. So yeah. it's like something persisting. Um, and, and then with kids, uh, this is a big question of like, when should I seek out services for my kid? Again, if this is persisting and maybe you're having that conversation with another adult in the life of the child, you're back and forth, back and forth, that might be a good sign to go ahead and follow through and seek out some sort of support. You can always check in with, you know, the mental health professional at the school and let them know what you're seeing. Um, but also some things to look for in kids if they're having behavior problems at home at school, if there is a sudden change in pattern or behavior. So for instance, an outgoing child is suddenly withdrawn or changes in sleep, eating, um, something comes up in conversation as you are applying the chat with your kids model. Uh, maybe they tell you, I want to talk to someone. Um, and of course, if they experienced any kind of trauma, whether it's big like the loss of a friend or maybe it's smaller like uh or what you perceive to be small you know like a breakup something that you're like oh they'll get over it but it could be um something very distressing to yeah them. yeah and i and about trauma we were talking about this earlier actually that the word trauma really just means something that is disruptive for your psychological life kind of like how a traumatic physical event would be like getting hit with a car. I mean, that's very disruptive and can damage bones or whatever. Um, there are traumatic psychological events, things that can be, um, that can have an impact and potentially um, leave a mark, have some kind of damage. Disrupt. Yeah, it'd be disruptive. And, and I kind of wanted to reframe that because the word trauma can be loaded. Um, for some people, it might... Some people will say, you know, well, like what I've experienced isn't traumatic like what some other people have experienced. And that's totally fair. Um, but the the standard against which we're measuring isn't how bad has it been for other people. It's how has X, Y, or Z impacted you as an individual. Um, and so that's the thing to consider for yourself or for your kids. Like, have I or has my kid experienced something that's like significantly disrupted or even minorly disrupted? Mm -hmm. their life in some way yeah so we want to provide some information about the kinds of mental health professionals and this is a tall order for a podcast in just you know one episode this could be like a whole podcast and so we're gonna do our best to very broadly and succinctly talk about the different kinds of mental health professionals um with with the understanding that there are so many different kinds of mental health professionals with different training, 
uh, the level of training and types of professionals vary from state to state. The acronyms you're going to see are going to vary from state to state. But hopefully we can give just kind of a big picture to help you just kind of know who you're looking for, first of all. Um, and, and then we want to provide some information on like how to find these people. But just, yeah, we want to kind of go through and we're gonna we're gonna do our you. best to give a high level overview yeah bird's um, eye view <laughs> yeah we're very aware of the limitations of time <laughs> okay um so first to mention our psychologists so somebody that's a psychologist is somebody who's received doctoral level training and is licensed um so fun fact alex is on this path right i now. am you know in a year <laughs> and a half would, i'll be yeah, fit in this category <laughs> um so services that a psychologist can provide would be testing and assessments. So these could be like educational, cognitive assessments, personality testing, things like that. Um, diagnosing in some states, also uh, prescribing medication. That's a controversial topic, but yeah. <laughs> some states psychologists provide. <laughs> um, and then also family, individual, group counseling, also education psychologists can teach to community organizing things like that so um psychologists have a, a fairly wide skill set and this is actually this is actually going to be true of everyone that we talk about here but something to consider is that somebody with this training will have probably been exposed to a lot of different uh, areas of whatever either assessment or counseling or whatever um, but they may only really emphasize a few things. Um, and if you think about it, to be really good at something, you have to devote time to it. So it's not really possible, even if somebody's a generalist, like a general practitioner, um, there might be some things that they're more interested in or better at and have spent more time engaged in. It's just something to consider that, that there's, there's going to be psychologists that offer different services better than others because they've spent more time in it. And they'll probably advertise that. Yeah. So for like, for example, and this kind of goes with all of these different categories. There is like, yeah, different specialization and training. There may be a psychologist who specializes in working with clients. Yeah. Adolescents or clients experiencing addiction or, you know, the, the list ADHD. goes on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, I guess, a blanket statement for all these that I'll probably repeat again. Next are counselors or therapists. So these are people who have a master's level training. And again, licensure requirements vary kind of widely. There's a lot of different acronyms you might hear. LMHC, LCMHC, LPC, what have you. So in this category, again, you have people who've been trained to deliver individual therapy, group therapy, family therapy, but again, you have people here that might, they might um, be generally trained, but have an, an expertise in family therapy. Yeah, like or, a marriage again, and family therapist or, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a caveat about that too is that somebody might be trained in marriage and family therapy, but somebody else who's a, like a clinical mental health counselor might have had a lot of experience in supervision working with families as well. So even though they don't have the, um, LMFT, the licensed marriage and family therapist degree, they might still be an expert in that domain um, just by way of training and experience. Mm -hmm. And that's a, a lot of professional development. And yeah, it's kind of 
choose your own adventure in some ways mm-hmm. of like where do I want to specialize what kind of group do I want to work with and so you'll get you know this information from websites and we'll even yeah we're, we're going to talk about that you know but you can learn a little bit more about how somebody specializes um so that you can yeah make sure it's a good fit for you hopefully before you start the session and it's worth really for us i know we're reiterating this point but it is really important to know because there's so much variation it's part of why we're doing this episode is that it is kind of a wide world um and these are just important points to consider yeah that, and like a title isn't going to tell you everything about the person yeah and i think we've mm. both felt that even just like kind of overwhelming situation just sitting behind your computer screen like typing in like trying to find someone and you're not really sure what you're looking for um mm-hmm. so hopefully this yeah like just gives you a little more power in that search or that process so the next category is clinical social workers and um the social workers can have training either at a master's or doctorate level and a social worker's training can be a little bit more broad. Working with social systems in a way that maybe like a, a psychologist may not have that training. Um, may Psychologists probably have that training to some extent, but a social worker is uh, studies better how to connect people with community resources, how to work within different social systems like school settings, legal, um, hospitals, what have you, foster care, like... Yeah, exactly. Um, and so like we said, and there are social workers um, who offer that individual, you know, they, they work in a variety of settings. They may work in a healthcare setting, a school setting, a legal setting, and um, they may have received that additional training to offer individual counseling or therapy. Up next is medical professionals. So that is going to be like a psychiatrist or an MD doctor of medicine with a emphasis in biological aspects of mental illness um, or a psychiatric mental health nurse or um, nurse practitioners. So each of these, you know, obviously a doctor, doctor of medicine um, and a nurse practitioner may have a master's or PhD in psychiatric mental health nursing. Often the services um, we'll see provided from these professionals is going to be like prescriptions, medication ma- management, diagnosis, and treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, treatment, typically, again, like Marcy said, it with um, medication, but psychiatrists also can provide talk therapy or do other treatment modalities, like there's some kinds of behavior therapy and... Um, So yeah, it really depends again on the psychiatrist. So next we want to talk a little bit about school-based mental health professionals. One of Marcy's passions. (laughs) This is where I shine. (laughs) So um, we'll kind of start with the one, like I think the blanket professional that everyone knows as a mental health professional at school, and that is a um, school counselor. So often, um, and any and school-based mental health professionals are going to have education ranging from a master's to doctorate level. Um, that's you know, yeah, specific, per, usually what we're going to see. Um, so a school counselor, the services they provide, they can do you know individual and group counseling. They do academic advising, um, work in school leadership, that kind of stuff uh school psychologist that's me (laughs) that's what i am trained in 
again, we're going to see individual group counseling. They do a lot of assessment, school leadership, crisis response. We see so, uh, school social workers also can do individual group counseling, case management, family support, crisis response. Um, and then there's also kind of this more broad category that I want to address, which is kind of other school mental health support. So with a school counselor and a school psychologist and even a school social worker, these mental health professionals in, in the schools, they aren't able to do as much of that individual counseling and group counseling and classroom outreach and education and social emotional learning as we would like to see because they have other responsibilities that take up a lot of their time. For instance, a school counselor has to do that academic advising and working on the schedules. A school psychologist has to do assessments. And these are important parts of providing quality education and experiences for students. And yet they they take up a lot of time. And so something that we are seeing a lot more of and it's great is this category of like other school mental health support. And that's going to maybe be called a different thing in, in your school. It may be um, I was able to work in my school district under this category as what was called a mental health coordinator where I got to do a lot more time and I got to like commit a lot more of my energy to providing individual services, group services, running small groups, doing family therapy, and then also actually helping families connect with uh, mental health providers in the community, providing parent trainings, and working with teachers to provide better mental health support for students. So something that you can do to advocate in your schools if you value this is advocate for additional mental health providers in schools or the providers in your schools having fewer schools. If your caseload is smaller, you're able to do a lot more of that mental health support. Just a few more to be aware of. There are different forms of therapy that people can be specifically trained in, like art and music therapy uh, or different kinds of expressive art therapy, where the goal is not to talk directly about the underlying problem, but to give expression to it in some other form. Um, and it's effective. It can be very therapeutic. Yeah, I think it's a great um, form of therapy, especially for children. Yeah. Um, and then the last group of mental health professionals that we want to talk about is behavior therapists and um, behavior therapists apply the principles of behavior to address specific behaviors for example social skills tantruming or aggression to help parents um, navigate those challenging behaviors and also helping children to learn replacement behaviors or alternative ways to interact with their environment um, and um, frequently, children who receive uh, behavior therapy will require some form of like diagnosis to, um, you know, qualify for that kind of therapy. That is kind of just a big picture overview. Um, if you are a mental health professional listening to this and we you feel like we didn't do you justice, let us know. Reach out and. We apologize if we didn't do a perfect job, um, but yeah, please reach out to us. We'd love to have that conversation and right our wrongs. <laughs> <laughs> really quickly, we wanted to also talk about a few forms of therapy that are available or specifically for children. 
Therapy for children is a little bit different because children have different cognitive resources than adults or even adolescents, um, which makes sense, right? They're younger. So we talked about behavior therapy just now. Marcy talked about it. That's one of the forms of therapy. There's another related form of therapy called parent-child interaction therapy, or PCIT. It's very popular right now. It's research-based. And the goal is to help parents improve specific kinds of interactions through observation and live feedback. So what it looks like is if you sign up for a PCIT course, it'll be for a certain number of weeks, say eight, and you'll go once a week for an hour, an hour and a half or whatever. And they'll kind of guide you through having like really focused special time with your kid where you're just playing, doing what your kid wants. And then you just kind of interact with them. You're kind of like living life for an hour and then being observed and you're given direct in the moment feedback when they're, when you're facing your sticking point, right? So this is for things like if your kid is tantruming or if they have a hard time with you saying no, um, Let's say your kid wants something and you tell them no and, you know, it becomes a whole thing. They get mad, they throw something, they whatever. Um, it can be hard to know what to do. PCIT gives you like really direct in the moment feedback for how you can improve. Play therapy is another form of therapy. Um, we kind of referenced this earlier, but with younger children, they may not be able to give verbal expression to whatever they're experiencing, but children will often enact their emotional life in play. Um, they don't have the same kinds of filters that adults have, and so there's a more direct flow between their emotional life and their actions, and so they may not be able to say it, but uh, in play therapy, the therapist will create a situation with like wooden blocks and little people, you know, and They'll say, who is this person and who's that person? And they let, they'll allow the kid to construct a story from their imagination that's related. It, inevitably, it ends up being related to their emotional life. And so that can be a way to kind of help a child open up or help the therapist learn about what the child's been experiencing. It's really good for younger kids, but it can be useful for older kids too. Or Like I said, art and expressive therapies are similar in a way. Um, so this, this style is very useful in a number of circumstances. Yeah, definitely. And you may take your child to a provider who may, you know, it may be traditional talk therapy, but with a child, they will include a lot of these elements. There may be some sort of like art you're, you know, you're likely not going to have a six-year-old like laying across a couch <laughs> and telling all their woes, right? There may be some sort of like psychoeducational element where the professional uses actually like a curriculum or a structure to help the child talk about their feelings, you know, with younger children. And then for older children, they may benefit from regular like talk therapy um, as well. And a big part that we will talk about more but a big part of that talk therapy is the is the relationship and that is so key and with with all these kinds of therapies the the family plays a role the parent will be involved especially with the younger children um but even with like adolescents it's really important because the the family unit whatever that looks like for you but the family unit 
functions as a unit. So yes, there are individual people that make it make up the family unit, but it's a system that works together, much like the engine of your car, right? There's a bunch of different moving pieces that you could look at in isolation and say, this is the alternator and this is the battery and whatever. But they all work harmoniously to make the car run. And when one of those pieces isn't functioning at its best, it puts stress on the whole system. It influences the rest of the system. That's basically the same in in families. Um, If one person's not doing well, it's going to influence the other people in the system. And it's going to make changes to the system as a whole. And so even in individual child therapy, um, the larger family system is always kind of in play. So um, it's, again, it's not, not again, I didn't say this yet, but it's not to blame or locate blame or anything like that at all. It's just to say that we're relational beings. We exist in relationships and those relationships matter to us. So when one person in a family is being affected by something, kind of all people are affected by it. And on the flip side, all people working together can help improve that person's situation more than just treating the one person, just the one parent or the one child. Yeah. So it's kind of a message of hope. Yeah. More than anything. And like, yeah, like Alex said, you don't have to necessarily be part of the problem to be part of the solution. So your child may be struggling for a number of reasons and it doesn't have to be your fault, but as a parent in the family system, it's important to be part of that support and help for your child. Mm-hmm. Um, so, th- yeah, so those are kind of some of the different forms of therapy that we're going to see specifically with children there's also like in schools we talk i talked about this but there's you know groups that are typically a specific topic and they go through different activities and more of like a kind of like a curriculum but we also see groups outside of the school setting uh with similar you know like a depression anxiety group a social skills group um and sometimes these groups have a parent group as well where the parents meet and the children meet and you know lots of families benefit from these kinds of services now that you have maybe an idea of the different kinds of mental health professionals different forms of therapy available for children with adults there's a lot it's a big it's <laughs> yeah. a big world it's even bigger yeah. we could do a whole series on it yeah so look out for specific- our next podcast <laughs> just kidding <laughs> But if you no, if you do have any specific questions, you can let us know, and we can help orient you further with different kinds of therapy. There's also lots of good online resources um, that already exist, but that's yeah, it's just a totally yeah. separate topic. Reach out to us; we would love to talk to you about it. <laughs> but we now we want to talk about okay. So where do you look for these you know resources? So um, one uh, resource that is very common and a lot of mental health professionals are part of is the website psychologytoday.com. Yeah, if you search psychology today, it's it's run by the American Psychological Association and it's just a database of psychologists and you can search by geographical location like zip code and then you can filter your search results by the type of therapy that a person does, any specialties they have, um the kind of insurance that they take or fee schedule they have. 
Um, something really important to know is that this is a starting point. Not every psychologist is going to be registered here. It's not like a requirement to be a psychologist. It's just a way for people to, um, it's like a touchstone for psychologists and clients to meet. Um, so it's a great place to start looking. Yeah. And it's a great place to start looking. Yeah. <laughs> um, but again, like Alex was saying, not everyone's going to be here. Um, so some other ways is asking for referrals from the mental health professionals at your child's school. Um, talk to the people you know. And that can... Word of mouth is a great way to find a therapist. Yeah. Because <laughs> somebody that you know, if they're able to give you a referral, they had a good experience. And it may not work for you exactly, but it's a great place to start. It mm -hmm. really can narrow the field. Yeah, it's a definitely, that is one of like the tried and true ways of finding a great therapist. Especially like good, well-established therapists. They may not be on psychology today, um, but word of mouth is the way to find mm -hmm. them. The, yeah, insurance also, if you, if you do have insurance, um, looking through your provider they should have a database of just like with doctors they should have a database of psychologists or it might be listed under behavioral treatment um <clears throat> because the insurance world has different terms for these things it's not all behavioral but they call it behavioral treatment sometimes and then you can also check with your employer some uh companies mm -hmm. have access to mental health services um, or, you know, some sort of work program. So just check in. Or if you're a college student, you probably already know that college yeah. counseling centers are free. Amazing. And yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so those are some of the ways to just even start finding, looking for, you know, a therapist. Um, we kind of want to talk a little bit about the barrier of affordability and we know that this can be a real pain point many universities have community counseling centers where students doctoral students uh, master students who are working on route to get their licensure provide heavily discounted or sometimes free counseling services so check with your local university if they have one of these programs this can be a great way for you or your child to get access to these services um, also universities often are doing research so there mm -hmm. are groups or research studies yeah, and a lot of times it'll be for a specific things so like parent-child interaction therapy like i talked about earlier is a lot of universities are doing research on it right now mm -hmm. you might find a pcit study that you can just join and be a part of and get the therapy for free like mm -hmm. marcy said um or some studies are specifically for like generalized anxiety so if you know you have a specific issue that you're trying to seek treatment for um you can maybe find that too yeah they um, could be more general but some of them are very specific yeah so that's one like check with local universities and well just another or, one just while we're on the topic yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um i also did family therapy with a group that um specifically it was family therapy culturally informed family therapy for latino adolescents who were at high risk for suicidality and um i was hired as a clinician but it was free for families because we were conducting research and so they actually got it was it was great they got a full they got high level they got alex calder <laughs> quality therapy that's right that's right <laughs> um but they got a full 
four months of treatment, right? We're for at no cost. Yeah, it was family and individual therapy, and um, there could be a program like that near you. Yeah, so definitely don't you know rule that out. Look into that. Um, many providers will offer some sort of sliding scale based on income. Again, that's something you need to check um, when you call. Ask if there is a sliding scale uh, program or benefit that is offered. And then again, just a reminder when, you know, concerning your children, check in with the school because mental health services provided within the school are at no cost. Okay, so now that we've talked about how to start looking, let's assume that you found somebody you think you might want to work with or a list of people you might want to work with. First thing that's going to happen, you're probably going to start getting a little bit more nervous, anticipating that you're seeking someone to talk about your personal life with. That's right now they're a stranger to you. Um, but this process can be difficult because it's not it's not very linear. It's not easy to find somebody that you want to work with and that you can work with. So we would recommend that you find a few people to call, and you know you might be put on a waiting list or um yeah and if that's the case you can also like if you really thought hey i really wanted to work with this person i like their website i liked what they said um but they can't take you right now you can ask them for referrals you can be put on a wait list if you're willing to wait uh, or you might just keep calling around and this i a really good example was actually not for a therapist but for OT, I called my our, our son needed occupational therapy, and I called an occupational therapist that I found online, and I kind of liked what was going on. She didn't accept our insurance, but she provided me with the information of an occupational therapist in our area who was similar and did accept our insurance, and that was awesome. And we, yeah, we found a great provider that way. So, um, Again, like asking for referrals, even not just from like your friends and family, but also from other professionals. It can be a really good way of finding a therapist. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I found my therapist, actually. Okay. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I got, a, I got, a, I, there was somebody that I thought I wanted to work with, but it didn't work out and they gave me a list of people. And he loves his therapist. Yeah. It worked out. <laughs> um, Okay, so let's say you've found the person you're going to work with, you've scheduled your first appointment. Again, here you're probably going to get nervous again, anticipating what's going to happen. And this is where I want to call us back to the, the reflection question we asked earlier about what perceptions you might have of therapy. So almost everybody, we're going to come in with some assumption about how it's going to go. You may be aware of that or you may not be, but... Um, I would encourage you, we would encourage you to reflect on what it is you think is going to happen. Like, how do you imagine it? It could be something out of a movie scene, right? You may have no the reference Sopranos. point. <laughs> right? Like, you may have no reference point except for TV, which is totally fine, by the way. But I think it's important just to keep that in your mind because it's going to affect kind of how you're feeling, how you interact with the therapist, what you think they're going to do. Um, and it's also a great thing to talk about with your therapist. But when you first go in for your, your very first appointment, they may have some intake procedure. You might see your therapist right off the bat and they may just start working with you. Um, they'll, or they may have you see somebody else. To like perform the intake. So yeah, yeah. They may, someone else might ask you some questions, some basic background information. And then 
So in that, so then you're there, your first session with your therapist, you may be somebody who doesn't really know what to say and that's okay. And that can even be a starting point of that lead with that. I don't really know what to say. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, or you may have this buildup of like, I've been ready, I've been ready. And then you just feel like you have to dump like 35 years in one session. And so if that's what you need to do and that's healing, go for it. But also, you know what? Remember, hopefully you'll be seeing this person again. And so... If that is what happened, both of those are very common responses yeah. to first session. So just do just do whatever's happening yeah. for you. Like it's totally And you don't fun. need to be embarrassed. It's just part of the experience. And something that's so important is really forming that relationship with the mental health professional and this is actually the number one predictor of success in therapy like research based across all different kinds of therapy like regardless of therapist qualities client qualities the number one predictor is the quality of the therapeutic relationship like if you think about it what are you doing you're sitting in a room with somebody kind of exposing parts of your life that you can't expose with anybody else you're talking about feelings that you have or experiences that you've had that aren't possible to talk about with everybody. Um, and you really need to have somebody that you trust to do that with. Um, so if you think about relationships in every other context, they take time to develop. So you might have, it's, it's likely or it's possible at least that you have a first session with the therapist and you know right off the bat that it's not going to work. It's possible. It's less likely that you know right off the bat that it's really, really going to work. It might take some time to kind of figure that out. So give it a try. Yeah. And even if, if you, even if you're just like on the fence or you think it might not work, it might be worth having a second or even a third or fourth session just to try. I don't think you'll be wasting your time because it's worth going through the process to figure out what works for you and what doesn't work for you. That's just more information for you to find your, like the right therapist for you in the future. Mm -hmm. And that being said, don't also don't be afraid. If you've been in it, you've been really giving it a good, honest go. And you feel like this isn't, you're not feeling like it's a great relationship or you're not feeling like it's the right fit for you. Don't be afraid to keep looking for another therapist. And I think that, we do want to kind of address, we, you know, we talked about those two barriers and one is that perception that the therapist may not listen to you or, you know, may not be helpful. And so if you are really feeling that with a therapist, then that isn't a good fit for you. So for the last segment, we just want to finish off with some conversation starters, specifically if you feel like your child could benefit from mental health services how do you bring this up with them? How do you start the conversation? Um, and, you know, I know that this could be, could feel like a sensitive topic, right? It's one thing if your child tells you that they want to go to therapy or that they want some support or help. Um, in that conversation, you know, listen, ask questions, be curious, and then of course follow through and, and involve them in this process that we've kind of talked about. If you maybe don't have that experience, but you're recognizing some of those signs or have some of those concerns we talked about earlier, and you feel like your child would benefit, 
here's some some approaches to just getting the conversation starter. So first with younger children, it's first of all, don't worry about the stigma. Um, don't worry. I have a lot of friends who have brought their younger kids to uh, see a mental health professional and they're worried that they will wonder why they have to go or what's going on. That the kid will wonder. That the kid will, will wonder. And with little kids, um, usually they're pretty excited. It's kids love an adult who gives them one-on-one attention and is interested in them and asking questions. And nine times out of ten, a kid's going to be pretty excited about it. Um, they, You are the one bringing the stigma to the situation. Young children don't have that. Um, so, so really just put that at ease. Um, and we really want to be honest with young kids. So you could say something like, we're going to go talk to someone who's going to talk to you about your feelings or help you with your feelings. We might play some games. They might ask you some questions. If you are going to be a part of the session, often with younger children, parents are even in the session with the child. You can let them know. And you could even ask the provider beforehand what to expect so you can, you know, tell your child, we might be playing Candyland or whatever it is. Um, but you can keep it brief and succinct. Uh, we were kind of talking about it earlier. Usually with younger children, you like make them a dentist appointment and you take them to the dentist appointment and it can be a similar process you can kind of just tell them a little bit about it and be excited and their energy will match yours so that's um you know kind of how to start the conversation with younger children yeah and then with with older kids it might be it's likely going to be a different process because, yeah. <laughs> you know, with a, with a five or six year old, you might just schedule the appointment and tell them on the way a little bit about what you're doing or a little bit before. But older children have a little bit more autonomy and they want to feel more part of the process. And so you might want to include them in the process kind of in, in something like this. This is just a rough sketch of a way that you might help include an older child in the process of seeking mental health treatment. So um, you might start by making a very non, a very neutral um, descriptive statement about what you're observing. So let's say you have uh, an 11 year old who gets really frustrated when they're playing with their siblings and it, it leads to fighting and all sorts of other stuff. But um, you might want to say something like, Hey, James, I noticed that when this happens, you're getting really frustrated with your sibling. And um, I just wanted to know, like, what is that like for you from your perspective? So first you're making the non-judgmental descriptive statement, but then you're also asking to see things from their perspective. Like your kid may not think it's a problem at all, or they may, you know, they may say, yeah, I don't really like it. I want to change that, you know, but what you're looking for is to get some more buy-in from them gradually. So yeah, just ask them how they see it. And then you can ask a simple question like, well, do you think um, do you think there's a way that we could change that? Would you like to make that change? Um, and I would frame this in terms of like, in a way that's joining you together. Um, so it's not like, hey, I noticed that you need to change this. Like, let's do that. It's, can we work together to make this change, right? Um, 
Yeah, it's not they are the problem. There is a problem, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and then, you know, assuming that you're able to get to a point where they say yes, because it may not just be a straight up yes right off the bat. There may be some more conversation to be had. Chatting. Chatting. <clears throat> but once your kid does get to the yes, then you can ask them for ideas on how they might want to make those changes. So again, it's not implanting the idea of therapy right off the bat, but it's seeing if they can come up with things because therapy may not be the only answer either. There could be a lot of different things that could be helpful that you could work on together as a family. Um, And your kid might have ideas about how to do that. Yeah. What I love about this approach is that it's, it's not just like an angle, like, oh, I'm just going to trick them into going to therapy. It, you know, go into it with genuine desire to collaborate. And, and like Alex was saying, maybe one of their ideas of what do you think that you could do to make it better is maybe they suggest, well, maybe I can have like special one-on-one time with each sibling. And that's an awesome idea. And you should definitely implement that. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then maybe you can suggest your piece. I love that. Let's do it. Let's make a plan. I was wondering, would you also like help? with this and you know you can maybe present the option of therapy right so um it's yeah it's you're not even tricking them like you're working together you're having a conversation you're forming solutions together Mm -hmm. and then it's way more easy to enact when you're on the same page because there's going to be less friction right there may still be some concerns that come up and some unwillingness somewhere but that's the, the main thing is that now you're kind of bonded together and you're joining and you're doing this as a team. Mm-hmm. Like we mentioned earlier, therapy uh, relationship is, is such an important aspect of therapy. And so if a kid is being dragged, kicking and screaming, it's just not going to be that helpful. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, and for a parent, you don't want to, you don't want to be a part of that either. <laughs> that, that doesn't sound like a fun time. Right. Cause like we said earlier with, individual child therapy the family's always involved in some way um and it'll be stressful for you you know therapists don't have super magic powers that they can change people's will you know like somebody has to be interested in being there Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well that concludes this episode of chat with your kids on mental health resources The conversation started here on the podcast, and now it's up to you to keep it going in your homes. We would love to hear how it goes. If you have any questions, any feedback, we are a new podcast, and we greatly welcome any feedback that you have. So again, reach out to us on Instagram at chatwithyourkids or through our email, chatwithyourkids at gmail.com. And we will chat with you next time.